praise the Lord. Welcome in the house of the Lord. There's a song here which this morning has really blessed me. He says, let your glory fill this house. Is that your prayer? I mean, there's many houses. We're going to see that in today's sermon. Let your praises fill your mouths. We are created to praise God. Not to make a name for ourselves. Uh, let me just explain to you that your name will disappear in the archives of history. It will disappear. If you look at the newspapers today, it's, it's really white paper with black ink on it. Five years from now, ten years from now, that white paper becomes yellow. It becomes old and mouldy. And that is who we are. You know, we, we will make history, but history will disappear in the archives. But every day with Jesus... It's better than the day before. Every day with Jesus is wonderful. And you know what? Let your praises fill our mouths. May each vessel offer unto you. There's only one offer acceptable that we can give God, you and I, and that is our praises. Let us praise God. A sacrifice. He calls it a sacrifice of praise. And then he says, You are alone, not holy. Is He the only Holy One? He's the only Holy One. You alone are worthy. There's nothing in this world more worthy than God. And Him alone, nobody else, nobody can touch that. You deserve the glory, Jesus, you alone. It's how wonderful when we sing that song and then we know what we're going to preach about today is about the glory of God revealed. Last week, I preached a sermon about, come on, you were, who were you? What did I preach? Eternity unveiled. And we saw that Jesus Christ is eternity, isn't he? And that sermon is on your website if you want to go and listen to that. The previous Sunday, we listened to how Jesus Christ is Lord. We spoke about his deity. And I say, let's preach more about Jesus, Yes? And less about the world. We know the world is falling apart. We know the wheels are coming off. If you're a mechanic, let me talk in your terms. The nuts are loose and the wheels are going to drop out. Yes? But Jesus Christ renews every day. And we saw that He is Lord. Now I want to continue as we study through this book of John. And in the next, well the pace I'm going at now, I reckon in the next two years, it's going to take us to work through the book of John. Today we're going to read through the first chapter. And we're going to see in the first chapter, and just touch on it, that the glory of God is returning to this world through Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you on a path this morning in the Old Testament, and then I'm going to show you the glory of God. How it come to this earth, how it came to this earth, and how we departed from this earth. And how it came back. And where is that glory today? Is it important? Absolutely. The glory of God revealed. Now it's important. The one thing that I realized about the Word of God, and somebody said it to me when I was really young in the Word, he says, the Word of God is like an onion. Not because it makes you cry. It, it does that as well. But it's, if you take an onion and you take the first layer off, what do you get? Another layer. And if you take that layer off, what do you get? Another layer. And that is so true about the Word of God. That's why I absolutely love the Word of God. 
you think you discover something and it impacts your life, it gives you energy for life, and then before long you think, look, that's old news, and you discover something new in the Word, and it gives you more life. You know, it's in Isaiah, I just want to read this verse for you before we get to John. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9. He says, Whom will he teach knowledge? Knowledge? Whom will he teach knowledge? This is what the prophet asked, Isaiah 28, 9. And whom will he make to understand the message? Come on, everybody look at me. Do you want to understand the message today? This is now the Lord speaking through the prophet to you and me and he asked these two questions. Whom will he teach the knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk. Those just drawn from the breast. Now look, look at this thing. He says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You see the onion? One layer upon another layer upon another layer. And this is what we're doing over the last three weeks. We're looking at Christ. We want to know Him more. And let me just make a statement. I'm not a Jesus-only person. I believe in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in the Trinity. And during this year, I'll give you teaching on that. But now we are busy with Christology. Now, it's not a mystical word or a thing. Don't, don't get frightened about that. Christology is saying Christology is study. We're studying Christ. And as I said, it is so important that you know Christ in this world. So let's get into the word and I'm going to read through the whole chapter of John 1 now, and I would like you to follow in your Bible. It's amazing what you will find by just reading through the chapter. Turn to the person next to you and say, read through the chapter. Come on, do it. Just read through your Bible and you will grow. John chapter 1 verse 1. It starts off like this. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This was John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which comes, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Can I emphasize that? The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But, sharp contrast, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's a spiritual birth. And the Word became flesh and dwelled amongst us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory as to be only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, that he was, that this was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who send us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one, capital letter one, among you, whom you do not know. You see that? You do not know him yet. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in Betabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For He was before me. I did not know Him. I did not know Him. See those words. But that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remain on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Verse 34. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. One more time. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Verse 40, And one of the two heard John speak and followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. 
And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. See that? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Question mark. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. How wonderful is it to hear the Word of God. And let me tell you, that passage there, that chapter there, can keep us busy for the next six months. What we've seen there. There's one thing that I want to highlight out as you've read through that passage, and that is the words, they did not know him. You remember that? How many times did that come up? Three times. And the world did not know him. And this is my statement today, that the world still don't know Jesus. And this is my statement today, that the church in large still don't know Jesus. It also says in that passage that he came to his own. You remember that? And what happened? His own did not receive him. We see in the book of Revelation, there's one church where Jesus is on the outside. And what is he doing? He's knocking to come in, but they don't want to receive him. The church in large today don't want to receive him. The messages we hear from the pulpit is not Jesus anymore. It is the world. It is our problems. But here's the fact. If you start knowing Jesus and putting first in your life, your problems will become small and you will concentrate on Jesus. The message here is about the Son of God. Remember when I said that the reason why he wrote the Gospel is because he wanted to tell you and me about Jesus, the Son of God. I highly believe when somebody gave their heart to the Lord to start reading through the book of John first. Because in the book of John you will meet the Son of God. The one who saved you. The one who cleansed you. The only one who can take your sins away. And through taking your sins away, will take away your problems as well. 
Oh yes, you will still live in a world, and oh yes, there will still be problems. I'm not saying it's going to be a clean run. But what it is, is you will have faith in the Son of God. And this is the reason in John 20 verse 30, when he writes down, he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I want to add something in there and know him. And know him. And but that believing you may have life. Oh, you think you've got life. Oh, you think you are doing it well because you've got a great job, you've got a good bank balance, you've got a, you think you've made life. That's nothing. You only get true life when you have the Son. That's all. It's not I'm saying it, it is. Right there in chapter 1. Powerful chapter, isn't it? John writes to us and he, he says in this passage, he says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and if you commit yourself to Him, He will give you eternal life. But listen, you have to commit yourself to Him. He comes to you, He he comes to you through the Holy Spirit and he, he pulls you closer. But commit yourself. We're going to see this when we get to chapter 3, when we talk about a man called Nicodemus and the crowds who did not commit to Jesus. They are all just looking for the signs. But one man committed him to Jesus. And what happened? He gave him eternal life. So just to understand these things, and I want to, and like an onion again, I want to give you another layer here. You remember last week I said Matthew see Jesus Christ as the King. Well, the fact of the matter is Matthew writes to the Jews when he writes the Gospel. And he emphasizes that Jesus of Nazareth is fulfilling all prophecies. This is when you read through the book of Matthew. When you read through Mark, you see Jesus as a servant and he is he's writing to the Romans. This is what Mark does. The Romans were a very busy nation. They always were activity going on. They had to build this thing, the Colosseum. They had to really, it's just like a beehive. Things are happening around there. Mark writes to them, he says, look, I give you the servant Jesus Christ to a busy nation, I'll write to you. And they'll understand that. And Luke writes about the perfection of humanity. He writes to the Greeks. You remember the Greeks were their philosophers? The high thinkers, you know, they knew. They are the clever people. Luke writes to them, and what do you see? You see Jesus as the Son of Man, and as God intended man to be. But John, I love this, John writes to the Jews and the Gentiles. And it's right there in that Gospel. Let me give you a few examples. When he writes down, he gives an explanation to the Gentiles about things of the Jews. Look at this. John chapter 1 verse 38. Then they say to him, Rabbi, look what John does. He gives an explanation. He says, which is to say when translated teacher, this is what he does. Why? He writes his gospel 40 years after the others. He has spent time with Gentiles. And by the way, I'm a Gentile. I haven't got Jewish blood in me. I'm grafted into the olive tree. I'm grafted into Israel. And I don't believe in replacement theology. God has still got a plan for Israel. And we're going to see that wonderfully come to light. But he writes, look at John chapter 1 verse 41. He 
first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And look what John does. He gives an explanation to the Gentiles who don't know what Messiah means. He's which is translated the Christ. You see that? Isn't it beautiful how he, he opens up the gospel to the Gentiles? Look at John chapter 5 verse 2. Now they were in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool. Somebody will say, what is the sheep gate? Do you know? No, we don't. But then he goes on and he says, which is called in Hebrew, in Hebrew, Bethesda. John is wonderful in this. He, he brings everybody together. He says the gospel is not only for the Jews, it is for the Gentiles. It's not only for a color group, it's for all colors. It's not only for a language group, it's for all languages. Isn't that wonderful? He says in John 9 verse 7, and he said to him, go and wash you in the pool of Siloam. What does that mean? Which is translated saints. In John 19 13, when Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him down in the judgment seat in the place which is called the pavement. Well, but in Hebrew it's called Tabitha. John 19, 17, again he says, And hearing, bearing the cross, went out to a place called the place of skull. What is that? He again explains to the Gentile, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. So now we know Golgotha is the place of a skull. And finally, when you look through in John chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus said to her, This is Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. Now, I ask you, if you go out and ask any person walking along the street what Rabboni means, they won't know. If they pick up the Bible and they read it and they see the word Rabboni, they'll go, oh, I don't know. But John says, look, I'm writing to both. I'll explain to you, it means teacher. So, John writes to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, which is wonderful. Now, I want to come to our topic this morning where we're going to talk about the glory of God. If you think about the glory of God, we sang this song this morning. It's in that first chapter, and I'm going to show this to you, how the, God, the glory of God came back to this earth. We go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, and please follow in your Bible if you want. We find a very interesting statement made by a very clever man called Solomon. Solomon was David's son, you remember that? He took over as king. And now when we come to Kings 1 Kings chapter 8, I want to show you a few things here, which by the Holy Spirit might bless you. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 27, the word of the Lord says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon stands in front of a temple which is built, and he asks this question, he says, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? It's a good question, isn't it? Dwell means, will He come and make a house here? Will He come and live in a house like you live on this earth? He says, Behold, heaven and heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? It's a good question. The word contained there comes from a word which means keep it in or measure it or bear it or hold it. Now think for yourself for a minute here. Is there any way that this heavens here that we see in the clouds, the stars and the planets can contain God? Solomon, a very clever man, more clever than me, he says, Behold the heavens, and he was talking the first heavens there about the cloud heavens, and the heavens of heavens, he talks about the planets, 
cannot contain God. So let me ask you the question, how big is God? Solomon seems to think he's huge. How small are you in this whole universe? Let me explain to you how small you are. If I look at you now, you might be six foot seven. You look me in the eyes, you might weigh 120 kilos, and people say, you're a big unit. Yes? When you get on the roof, and you look down at the person, it becomes a little bit smaller. When you go up on a 10-story building, and you stand on the roof of that 10-story building, and you look down at that big unit, how big is he? He's small. Now, when you get into a plane or a helicopter and you go up 10,000 feet into the air and you look at that big unit, where is he? You can hardly see him. He might have a flare down there, which he pulls at the right time over the radio. Pull the flare. And it's a red light going off and you go, oh, there he is, I can see the red coming out. Can you still see the big unit? No. Get into a jet plane and go up 30,000 feet. Can you still see the big unit? No. You might see the flare. Get in a rocket ship and go out of, out of this, this world into space and drift around. Can you still see that person standing outside in Karam Downs, that big unit, 6 foot 7 and 120 kilos? Can you see him? No. Go further. Go beyond. Go to Mars. Where is that person? You're gone. But you can still see God. Yes, God is still there. Look, we think we are so, we think we are the center of the universe. But we are not. Your brain can't even contain God. You can't. It's just too big. And this is what Solomon comes across. He goes, he's built this temple, and I'm going to show you this. It's wonderful. Now, let's backtrack. Let's go reverse a little bit. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Chapter 17. Uh, chapter 19, sorry. Exodus chapter 19. And we see now the glory on the mountain. You remember when the people came out of captivity, out of Egypt? They went into the wilderness. And I'm just fast forwarding right to Exodus chapter 19 now. Look at verse 17. He says, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Let's just stop there for a minute. What did we read in the first chapter of John? They did not know God. Do you remember that? Well, it happened the same in the Old Testament. Here, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. It's not a place like this. It's a mountain. I don't know about you, but if I walk up to a mountain, I feel small. You look up at this majestic mountain in front of you and you think how small I am. In fact, let's go back to my scenario. If you walk up the mountain, stand on the top of the mountain, can you still see that big unit down there? No, you're small. That's how big the things is God has created. And here He takes them to a mountain. To a mountain to meet God. Not a coffee shop, not over a flat white or a cappuccino. No, no. He takes them to the mountain. And let's see if the mountain can contain God. He says now in verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. 
This is no fable. It actually happened. If you go there today, they say that mountain, if you see at all the other mountains, it's black in color. The fire burned on the whole mountain. Can you imagine that? I mean, we're living in a, in, in a, in a country where there's bushfires, and they talk about massive bushfires. I'm talking about the worst fire that happened in Victoria. Multiply that by a hundred, a thousand. A mountain was on fire. This is how they met God. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain, not only was there fire, Frank, look at this, it was quaking greatly. And how do you feel when you see fire and everything shakes? You feel fearfully. This is how they've met God. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And God said, let them not come near this mountain because they will die. Now, I just want to explain to you something here. God came down on that mountain. It's not because that mountain could contain God. If God's full power came on that mountain, it would have blasted this whole planet out. It would have exploded like the worst atomic bomb you could see. If the full power of God was contained on that mountain, it wouldn't have been able to hold it. It was quaking and shaking. It was an earthquake on the mountain. This is how the glory of the God came down on the mountain. And people could not contain that glory. Yet these days, I listen to people and they shout, Fire! Fire! Listen, friend, if the fire of God comes into this place this morning, you ain't be able to sit on your seat. In fact, the ground wouldn't be low enough for you to go down on your knees. I see a prophet in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year of Uzziah. What happened to this prophet? Isaiah, the seam of the rope of God's filled the temple. The seam is a sign of authority. Authority came into the temple where Isaiah was. And what's the first thing he do? Fire! Fire! Demand! No, no, no. He falls down and he says, I'm an unclean man amongst people with unclean lips. The fire is judgment. Here it's the glory of God coming down on the mountain. Now, it was important for the people to meet God. Why? Because they had to experience God and His power and His being and His deity. Why? That they might be saved from their idols. That's the reason. And the world is filled with idols. We all got them. It's all around us. And this is how you determine a thing that's an idol. The one thing that takes most of your time becomes an idol. Is that God? Are you spending a lot of time with God or a lot of time? Did you know that you yourself can become your own idol? It's about me, myself and I. The headmaster of self-idol worshipping is Lucifer. So here we see the glory of God coming on the mountain. 
But then we take a little bit fast forward now, we go to Exodus chapter 40, if you want to flip over in your Bible to Exodus chapter 40. And I want to spend a few minutes here to show you something. Look, if you are with me all the way, God will bless you with His Word today. Exodus chapter 40. We know that as the, as the nation went through the wilderness, there was a cloud by day and a, 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 a fire pillar by night. And they saw that was how God was leading them through. But listen, we are trying to set up a house for God on this earth. Is there anything that can contain Him? Remember the words... But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and heavens, heavens cannot contain Him. How much less a temple? Now we come to Exodus chapter 40. Look at this now. Verse 1. He says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in the ark of the testimony and a petition of the ark with the veil. What are we talking about here? God is now setting up a tabernacle. A place of meeting. In other words, this is the place where man will come in, God will come down and they will meet each other. You remember the first one was the mountain. Now he says we're going to set up this tabernacle. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 40. I'm not going to go through it because we'll spend the whole day here. But if you read through that whole chapter, you will see that God is very meticulous in how this temple had to be built. Very meticulous. He set it out before them in verse 4. You shall bring in the tabernacle, arrange the things that are to be set in order. And you shall bring in the lampstand and lights in its lamps. You can read right through that chapter and there is a good explanation of how this tabernacle needs to be built. God is meticulous. It's got to be the best to contain God. Or is it? We'll find out. Let's continue on to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. You remember on the mountain the cloud came down? The same here. There was a pillar of smoke. This is a cloud. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Have a look at this. It says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We're talking about the glory of God this morning, friends. And here we saw that God comes down to man's level... And he meets man in a tent of tabernacle. The glory filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Why? Because holiness was there. Greatness was there. And a word which I only use for God, awesomeness was there. God filled the temple with His, with his glory. And a man with the stature of Moses was not even able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Why? Because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Oh, my prayer is, Lord, that your glory will fill the tabernacle. But friends, we will be on our face crying out for mercy and for grace from God. He is a holy God. He is a fantastic, awesome God. There's no words in your language, in your vocabulary that can capture everything about God. And you say, don't get excited about it. Which planet are you on? I get excited about this God. 
He's much bigger than anything this world can dish up. So that's the tabernacle. And you know what they had to do? Every single time when they moved from one place to another, they meticulously had to unpack it in a certain way, put it on, and they carried that tabernacle every single where they go. And if they found a place they're going to stay for a while, they would unpack the tabernacle, set up the things, the veil, and the Ark of the Covenant will go in, and God will come down, and it will rest in. It's a place of meeting. And this happened over and over and over again. But let me suggest to you, or let me just plainly say to you, this was not the full glory of God. Because again, it wouldn't be able to contain it. Let's take one step further. We fast forward now to Exodus, or to 1 Kings chapter 6. Look, and I'm just going fast through these things. It makes for fabulous reading if you want to read all of that. There are so many other scriptures, and I had to sit there last night and cut out a lot of scriptures. But I want to give you context when we come to John chapter 1. Context is king. Now let's look at 1 Kings chapter 6. It says in verse 37, And in the fourth year, the foundation of, look, look at this now, the house of the Lord. You see that? First it was the mountain. God came down and He go up. Then it was the tabernacle and He just came down. Now we're talking about a house. I don't know about you. I've done a lot of camping in my life. But I only camp for two or three weeks. And then what happens? I want to go home. That's enough. You've had enough of it. My house is my home. That's where I rest. That's where I stay. That's my dwelling place. Here we talk about the house of the Lord. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the mound of Shif. And in the eleventh year, in the mount of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. So it was seven years in building it. It took them seven years to build the temple which to me is fascinating. Now, if you look at that again, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, and again, I'm not going to read through all of this, but if you look read through the whole of chapter 6, you will see that God is meticulous, and I'm using that word again, in how He instructed them to build the temple. It wasn't just an architect coming and saying, you know, I like it this way. Or, you know, the sun needs to come from this way. No, no, no. It was God's way. God gave them the plan for the temple. And if you read through that, you will see that no cost was spared to build this temple. It was beautiful. Some of the things was overlain by gold. You walk into a room, it's just gold. If you take the temple then, and you bring the temple in today's world, there will be no building on this earth that will be much more expensive than that place. This was the best. The best place. And you would say, for God only the best. Yes, in all of this. In all of this. Solomon comes and he says, Can this contain God? He built this house, and it's interesting if you read further on about the other buildings. It took him 13 years to build his own house. 
It took him seven years to build the house of the Lord. You see where the emphasis is? These days I look at people and it's more to set myself up and then we'll see. You know, I first want to sort out my life, Lord. I first want to live a life. I first want to experience. I first want to get a house. I first... No, no. That might take you long. No, no. The fact of the matter here is put God first. And this is what Solomon did. Seven years to build the temple. And then it took him 13 years to build his own place priorities was right in his life. But let's continue. This is beautiful. They built this wonderful place for God, the temple. And now we look at 1 Kings chapter 8. Just flick a few chapters over. And it came to pass, verse 10, 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 10, and it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the clouds filled the house of the Lord. You see that? The glory of God. So that the priest could not continue ministering because of the clouds. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Wonderful. Oh, for the glory of the Lord. We sing that song so easy this morning. Let your glory fill this house. It was a massive thing in the Old Testament. These people couldn't go on without the glory of God. Do you know what you've sung? Do you realize what you say to God in those songs you sang? Here is people in the Old Testament, they put so much effort into that. And then when the glory of God come, they couldn't just stand there and say, let the glory fill the earth. No, no, no. They could not continue ministry. You see, when the glory came in, they were shut up. This is the God we serve. This is how great and wonderful He is. Friends, I want to paint you this picture or explain to you that we're not dealing with a wishy-washy thing here. We are dealing with the Creator of the universe which holds you in His hands. That's the glory of God and it fills the house of the Lord. We cannot go on in life without the glory of God. You are lost, totally lost, pathetically lost. But I want to spend some time quickly on the dedication because there's another lesson we learn out of this. Everybody still with me? 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. Have a look at that. He says, and look clearly what happens here. He says, now dedication, we know what, uh, what happens here. He brought all of the people together and they're going to open. This is the big day. The big day. And Solomon stood. Everybody say stood quickly. I need to get you on with it. They stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. The glory of God filled the house. I couldn't minister. Here comes Solomon, the king. Well, he's a man. You know, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. He's the king. He comes and he stood before the altar of the Lord. Spread out his hands into heaven. And then he starts a prayer with, I highly recommend you go and read. He prays a wonderful prayer. But now I want to show you something which I've picked up here. Look at verse 54. And so it was, after this prayer, I'm not reading you that prayer, you can go and read it on yourself. And so it was when Solomon has finished praying, 
Now, how did he start this prayer? Quickly look up here. By standing in front of them with his hands lifted up. You see that? But when he finished praying all his prayer and supplicating to the Lord, that he arose. You see that? He arose. What happened? He started standing with his hands straight up. But during that prayer, the glory of the Lord, this man went to his knees. I don't know, maybe even lying down flat on his face. He could not stand in the glory of God. Look, it says that when he arose from before the altar, it's the same place, isn't it? Am I right? He was standing before the altar, now he was finished praying. He arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling down on his knees, there's the words there, with his hands spread to heaven. Look, let me tell you something. The more we know God and fellowship with Him, the lower we become and the higher He is. That's what we realize. But you see, there's another thing. Now we fast forward quickly to verse 55, the next verse. He says, Then He stood. He got up from His knees. You remember, He stands. He went down on His knees while He was praying. Now He's standing up. And He blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. They say, why are you preaching so loud? Well, the whole Bible is full of people preaching and speaking loud. Yes? <laughs> and secondly, it is to keep you awake. <laughs> then he stood and blessed the assembly with a loud voice. The more we know God and fellowship with Him, the lower we become and the higher He is. Listen, knowledge of God always brings reference. If you know God, you will have reference for Him. If you don't know Him, you will use Him as a swear word. And you know what? When I work with people and they use Jesus' name as a swear word, I pray for them. It's no good you walk up to Him and you say, look, it's my Lord. No, they're going to laugh at you. But I pray, and you know what my prayer for them is? Is, Lord, give them knowledge about you. Give them knowledge, Lord. Give them knowledge. You see, it brings reference. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Have you experienced as I was preaching the fear amongst the people when God came down? And John chapter 30 verse, uh, 3 verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, at this point in time, I've showed you how the glory came on the mountain, and I showed you the glory coming into the tabernacle, and I showed you the glory coming into the temple. But now, if that was fine, everything would have been fine, and you know what, it's the end, and we can go home. But unfortunately, there is an account in the Bible which talks about the glory that departed. Did you know that? And here it is. Please look at Ezekiel. Chapter 9. We are going really fast through the Old Testament now, aren't we? He says in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3, Now the glory of the God, the glory of the God. Remember, we're speaking about the same thing. The glory of God, of Israel, had gone up from the seraph where it had been to the threshold of the temple 
and he called to the man clothed with linen who had the righteous ink on his side. You need to read this in context and go back to that place. The point I want to make now, dear friends, because the nation continued in their sinful ways, turning their back on God, rejecting God, what happened to the glory now? It lifted. I showed you where it came into the temple. I just showed you that in Kings. Now, it says from where it was, the glory lifted up and it went where? It went to the threshold of the temple. The glory was on its way out. What did I say earlier on? Can you live without the glory of God? You're in trouble. Chapter 10, verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord, this is Ezekiel 10, 4, went up from the seraph and paused over the threshold of the temple. God is so good, do you know that? Have you picked up the word there? He paused. He paused over the temple, over the foothold, over the threshold. And the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard even in the outer court like the voice of the Almighty God when He speaks. I love this. Have you ever heard the angels? Have you? Yet these people, when He writes down, He says He could hear the wings. He could hear the sound of the wings of the cherubim. Wow! Let me just explain to you quickly something here. We can only listen. If you look at scales, there's scales in, in sound. We can hear certain scales. Uh, I didn't know that until Gavin and Richard and Sharia explained to me one day when they grew older. Once you reach a certain age, there's a certain sound that you can't hear. But young people can. I think it's under 16. And it's just a high-pitched sound. <laughs> it could be. But, you know, I was, one day there was music playing or something and the boy said, turn it down, turn it down, we can't listen because there's that sound there. But my ears couldn't hear that anymore, but there's good. There's certain levels of sound. As you grow older, it changes. But a, a, a higher than that, if we can listen one bar higher than we hear now, you would be able to hear the angels. You would be able to hear the wings of the angels you would be able to hear what's going on in the unseen. And I thank God that we can't. I thank God for that. Because, friends, if you can, you won't be able to sleep at night. It would be so noisy. God is good, isn't He? He made us just the way we are. That's why we shouldn't go to the occult to try to find out what's going on there. God made us how we are. And we need to be happy with that. Now, let's continue on. He says, he fold up. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 10, 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed. You see that? From the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in sight when they went out, the wheels were beside them and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the law of, of Israel was above them. The glory was departing here. The glory of God went out from the nation. Terrible. Terrible what happens here. 
Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 22. So the cherubim lifted their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the Lord of Israel was high above them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. Look at what happens here. First it lifted up, it stood at the threshold. Then it went higher. Then it went to the east gate. And then it went up on the mountain. You see, there is patience with God. But they didn't heed to Him. They didn't heed to His voice. And that is a sad story. And truly, if I say Amen now when we pray and we go home, we all go out here with a sad, sad reflection. The glory of God departed from this earth. It departed from the nation. Oh yes, he's still in control of the earth. I'm not saying he's not in control of the earth. Oh, still, as Colossians say, that he upholds everything. But we're talking about the glory of God here. Until, and this is the good news, until John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Hallelujah. He was in the beginning with God. Who is this? Oh, we saw it over the last three weeks. It's Jesus Christ. The Word is Jesus. It says He was with God. And see what happens in verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Friends, can you see what happened? The glory came down in the form of Jesus. And He says He dwelled amongst us. And we beheld His what? Come on. His glory. We beheld the glory of God through Jesus as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Old Testament. Now let me say this as well. These things that I've said this morning, the tabernacle, the mountain, the temple, those were all types of Christ. Those were all a shadow of the substance which was going to come. The whole of the Old Testament. We don't throw it out. We read about it. We learn more about God. But that's only a shadow. The substance is here. The substance is Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament points towards Christ. All of it. You will understand your Bible better if you understand that. That's why we don't go back to the feast. Oh, these people who contact me, they want to go, let's hold a feast. I don't have to hold feasts anymore. The one who eats the feast is in my life. His name is Jesus Christ. He's come back. The glory of God has come back. He became flesh and lived amongst us. Listen to Himself. I'm not saying this. Don't take my word. He says in John 17, 22, And the what? The glory which you... Father, the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Man, I'm, I'm going to get so excited in the next minute you won't be able to hear what I'm saying. Mountain shook like an earthquake was on fire. Tabernacle, they couldn't continue. Temple, they couldn't continue. Jesus Christ comes back. He takes on the form of man. Yes? And through Him the glory of God was revealed to us. But this goes one step further. You remember 
with the tabernacle, how meticulous God was. You remember that? Everything had to be precisely. You remember the temple, how meticulous God was with that? You remember that? Look at this now, dear friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Or do you not know? <laughs> I love this. That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we start with that song today, didn't we? Don't you know, don't you know, you're a temple? Don't you know, don't you know, you're a temple? Don't you know, don't you know, you're a temple? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Yes? Here he writes here, Paul. He got something, he understood it. He, he, he realized the glory has come back. Who is in you. You see that? What is in us? The Holy Spirit. The glory has come. Whom you have, whom you have from God. You have not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Uh, let me just say, we don't take God's glory. God takes his own glory. It's not how good we are. It's how merciful He was and is. It's not how brilliant you are. It's how graceful He is. It's His glory. Now, He was so meticulous. Look at um, John 14, verse 6. When Jesus, and, and, and this is when He says He will be in you. He talks about the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us. You see, Jesus Christ in His bodily form had to die and when he died, he was resurrected and he was taken up into heaven. But before he went, he said these words in John 14, 6. One of my most famous verses, I've learned this off my heart when I gave my heart to the Lord. Because it meant so much to me. Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abound with you forever. Now if you are with somebody, that means something. But this goes further. He says in verse 17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, where does He live? He lives in us. Let me finish by saying this again and I go back and I repeat myself. But it's for convenience sake that I'm repeating this. When they built the temple or the tabernacle, it was meticulously according to God's form. When they did the temple, the same thing. Did you know that when God made you, and we say you're a temple, that He wonderfully and fearfully made you, that God was so meticulous that He made you? You're not, a, you're not just a chance. You're not just a mistake. You're not just... In, you're not, listen, you are made by God wonderfully and fearfully. So that, so that, God knew this so that you one day can contain this glory. I give you Psalm 139, verse 15. It says, My frame was not hidden from you. This is from God. When I was made in secret. You see, God knows when you were made in secret. Do you know when you were made and conceived? You don't know. Sitting here today. You and I don't know. You see, it happens in secret. It happens, and then what happens? All of a sudden you realize, look, I'm pregnant. 
Did, did you know? It's a secret unto you until you find out. This is that. He says, even that God knew. So this is no mistake. He goes on to say, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts, skillfully wrought, skillfully put together. When people say you are nothing and they call you names, don't believe them, believe the Lord. You are skillfully made. Your eyes saw my substance being yet and formed. Have you seen a baby? It's a substance, yet and formed. God saw that. Let, let me say this. This church will forever stand against abortion. Forever on the word of God. Because God sees that stuff. And let it be known that every single person who puts his hand on a piece of paper to legalize that, every person who conforms that, every person who's doing that is a murderer and is going to be punished by God based on what you've just seen. I don't have to shout it out, it's there. I don't have to go with black hats and walking down the street. They will stand before a righteous God and for every single child that's killed in abortion there will be judgment. He says, well, you know they come now and they say, when is, when is a child a child, and when is it still not a child? When can you abort? When you can't? Let me tell you, when it's conceived, it's already done. It's right there. And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. You, weren't, you didn't even have a day, and God already fashioned your day. I get on an aeroplane, and it gets through a really big turbulence like a couple of weeks ago, and you know what? If God wants me to live, I live. He's fashioned our days. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Now, I finish with his words. Solomon stands in front of this temple and he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? We know the answer today. And the answer is, yes. Yes. But you and I know something today a little bit better and more about the most clever man in his day. He built this physical house, but God had another house in mind. And what else is that? You. Don't you know that you are the temple? Behold heavens and heavens of... And, and this, this makes me really... I can't get this. If the whole of the universe can't contain God, how can I? Have you ever thought about that? God comes and lifts through His Spirit in me. He's in us. It says it there. The Bible's proof of that. How much less the temple which I have built. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, somehow I feel so small this morning.